and we gather to be something more than individual. We gather to strengthen what is best in ourselves. We gather to grow what is best in one another. We gather together to be transformed and to transform. By this, our beacon chalice light, may we be together a place of comfort in times of suffering, a place of growth towards our best selves, a place of strength to prepare ourselves for the work that must be done, and a place of commitment to make our values real in this, our troubled world. So hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Sunday morning here at Essex Church. If you've come through the door, if you've found a seat, consider yourself part of Kensington Unitarians this morning, a gathering of people who care about our world and its cries for justice. We gather here from our separate lives, and together I think we form something more, a body of people committed to matters of the spirit, opening ourselves to the power of community willing to step aside for a while from everyday concerns and go a little deeper. So I welcome you all, whoever you are, however you're feeling this morning, whatever joys or burdens you're carrying and wherever you may be going. For now, let's celebrate that we're here together. I don't know about you, but one of the signs that I feel easy with other people is when it feels okay to admit how foolish I sometimes am and when it's okay to own up to making mistakes. And I think that's maybe why the hymn that we're going to start by singing today is still apparently one of the top three favourites for singing at weddings. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. <laughs>
Christian time of Lent starts this coming Wednesday with Ash Wednesday preceded as it is by Shrove Tuesday, popularly known as Pancake Day. And those uh, 40 days of Lent are a reminder of Jesus' time of withdrawal to the desert. It's traditionally a time for Christians to face their failings and make amends. Some people choose to give something up for Lent to help them pay better attention. So, as we join in this time of prayer and reflection, I invite you to pay attention to the state of our relationships as I call on the Divine Spirit of life and love to be with us now and to bless our togetherness here this day. How are we getting on with ourselves? Are we being kind enough to ourselves? Are we facing our failings with realism? Or perhaps finding some ways to put things right? How are we getting on with others? Have we told someone recently how grateful we are that they exist? Are there some, are there some difficult, difficult issues that we might be ready to face with someone? How are we getting on with the world? <coughs> Have we found some enjoyment in life this week? <coughs> Have we taken responsibility for some aspect of life and made things a bit better by our existence? As Jesus withdrew from the world for 40 days, are there aspects of life that we might do well to step back from for a while? And yet the world is always with us and so in a short moment of silence now I invite you to direct your thoughts and prayers to places and people who you feel are in need. And may the world be made a little brighter and more hope-filled because of our presence here this day. 
Amen. Our, um, our charity collection today is going to be for a, a project that when Julia told me about it, I thought, oh yes, what a simple but incredibly important idea. And so I asked Julia to come and talk about it because I think it's a great example of putting values into action. Thank you, Sarah, for allowing me to talk about the project this morning. I appreciate that. Uh, Roger Walsh, adjunct professor of religious studies at University of California at Irvine, says in an article that I just put, read off Google, this in this service as service as a spiritual practice. The great religions regard helping one another as more than mere obligation. Rather, they see service as both a central human motive and a source of profound satisfaction and well-being. In the monolistic traditions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, love and service of others are often given equal status with love and service of God. In Buddhism, compassion is seen as an inherent aspect of our nature, while Confucianism Confucianism, excuse me, regard, I should have practiced my reading, regards benevolence as the most important moral quality. So service has always been for me a fundamental part of my life and I've done a lot in many different ways. Um, I'm always seeming to going off somewhere to do something. Sometimes it's um, worked out well. I'm always looking for service that uh, empowers, engages, is sustainable, and is life-changing either in a person or the world or the community that they, that they live in. So if you perhaps remember, uh, maybe some of you do, some of you don't, about a year ago I wrote about a project that I was working on in Laos, which was about um, working with 20 young girls, adolescent girls, um, in an anti-trafficking program. And I was there with a few colleagues of mine. I, I happen to be involved in international education, so have lots of colleagues that live all around the world and who are also interested in service. So we um, were sitting, we were at a wonderful place um, in Laos uh, at a rice research plantation and we were conducting this workshop and we were talking, we did a survey with the girls and one of the things that came out was that they had a real problem going to school because they had their periods and they weren't able to manage their periods going to school. There was no um, bathroom, no toilet for them to actually um, use at the school that they went to. This was very, very rural Laos. And it was also too expensive, although you can buy products in some places, they're hard to get, and it's way beyond the means that these girls have to, um, to get them. So I know it's a rather strange thing to be talking about at church, but it is a realistic part of, of, of the world. So um, my colleagues and I, we, did, we around a table decided to try this project out, it, and it's become quite um, successful. It's called Generation Education Period, and it started with um, some funds from myself, and we started, I, I haven't been involved, involved in putting it together, but um, I just came back from Cambodia, another project which is called Green Umbrella, which I love, and I'd love to tell you about it another time. 
And what we have done now is uh, a year on, we've produced 500 packets of this and given them out to girls all over. And we're now working with girls to make them themselves. So girls from the community in Laos and now in Cambodia come together and they actually have been taught how to make the packs and are producing them for many, many, many. It was, it's just amazing how successful this has been, how young girls really have um, taken to this. So I'll just show you what, what's in a pack. Um, so in a pack, we have two pair of underwear that the girls have. And you have, this is um, made out of a plasticized material. And it is put around and snapped over the, the sorry, this way over the pants. And then you, this is a material, all these materials come from China because uh, they were really researched in terms of how, what the best products would be for this project. And so the girls will just insert one of these flannel type materials, which is very absorbent, into the plasticized, and then they wear that inside their, uh, inside their pants. They also come with, and somehow this didn't have it, but they also come with a bar of soap, and they are trained how to wash their um, fabric, wash themselves, so they have it ready for for the next sort of the next month. Comes with a little bit of a simple um, information uh, that goes along with that. So um, I think that I, I, I think that. Uh, this could have, kind of goes along with my sense of what service means, and that is that um, it really fundamentally changes someone's life, and it has changed a lot of girls' lives who stay at home because they can't go somewhere, and especially to school, because of um, their period each month. So um, thank you for letting me um, talk about it and explain it, and thank you for um, helping to support and fund it. Um, did I already say this? We're now looking at ways to make it more sustainable so that um, uh, we're not actually funding the project, but that somehow that funding can be generated from within communities so to, to make that um, more sustainable. I just want to say one more thing, that is, have I got my four, four minutes yet? I think that um, in the world it is overwhelming now. There are so many needs and every day we're hit with what can you do? How can you help? And sometimes we're all overwhelmed by it. What do we do? How can we help? But I'd like to just challenge you to every day, write down what you do for somebody else in your own lives. That's really service. Because um, I'm sure you all, every single day, are doing things that are of service to, to others to help them change their lives and to, to, to flourish in life. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. I suggest we stay seated to uh, sing the chant <coughs> that we're going to sing next. Um, it's from the Teze community. Uh, the rest of this service is about a visit I made to the Findhorn community up in Scotland. And one of the many beautiful aspects of life up there is that um, you can start every morning in three lovely different sanctuary buildings singing Teze chants with people and they know all the parts and it's very pleasing. 
Uh, we probably don't know all of these parts, so I'm going to suggest we sing it through three times and then just sing any line that you want and just enjoy the, the resonance of the harmonies. Thank you. Dal Parchem Domine.
In, um, in January, I was lucky enough to spend a week with the Fintorn community in the north of Scotland. Uh, we were a group of 17 Unitarians doing the classic introductory week at Fintorn. It's known as Experience Week. Um, and I know that several people here at Essex Church have connections with Fintorn. Um, Veronica and Sonia wanted to be here today because both of them have had great times up there. Um, I don't know if anyone else has been there. Harold, I hear you have, and Heidi, and yes, a few others. So do have a conversation um, over coffee later. Um, I'd spent two previous weeks at conferences at Fintorn, um, and I'd always hoped to go back and learn more. Um, and I don't know how much you know about it, but just a little bit of background. It was founded as a spiritual community to live in harmony with others and with the environment. It's along the Moray Firth in the uh, far northeast of uh, Scotland, east of Inverness, near the town of Forays. And it was founded in a caravan park close to the sea, to the Fintorn Bay and the village, way back in 1962. Now the 60s, of course, was an era when many of us were seeking alternative ways of living in community, but actually very few of those communities have survived and prospered into the 21st century as Fintorn has. And I think to understand why Fintorn has survived for 55 years, we, we need first to learn a little bit about its three founders who were really extraordinary individuals. They were so far from being hippies, which is the, you know, the kind of stereotypical view of Fintorn. They were of an older, wartime generation. They were deeply spiritual people with some really bold and unconventional ideas. First and foremost, there was a couple, <clears throat> Eileen and Peter Caddy. And the story of how they found one another is a tale in itself. Um, for Eileen to leave her marriage and five young children in the still quite repressive 1950s. And she, felt, she did that because she felt that was what God needed her to do. Uh, I think that gives a sense of the strength of their faith. And the, the caddies brought their spiritual principles to running a successful hotel up in Scotland. They were then guided to leave that work and they set up home with three young children of their own in a caravan on a bleak windswept caravan park. I've seen that original caravan and it was scarily small. So how they did it, I really don't know. But they did it because they had a sense of spiritual mission. But they still, at that point, were not clear what that mission was. A close friend joined them, Dorothy McLean, who was the third founder and is the only one still alive today. I met her when we were up there. Also a mystic and another really fascinating person. She'd worked in intelligence during the war. She found her in a sense of the divine through Sufism. So there they were, Eileen, Peter and Dorothy, living by rigorous spiritual standards, spending long periods of time in meditation, as well as busily developing vegetable gardens that became world famous and connecting with centers of prayer all around the world. And people started to turn up and join them. 
and they were incredibly strict about well what happened if you joined them you couldn't just sit around and stare at your navel you had to work this whole concept of work as love in action was one of their founding principles and from those modest beginnings and on a very, very bleak site, there was nothing really growing there except a bit of scrub. It now, in 2017, is this lush, fertile garden with huge trees growing and just feels so cosy there. There are about 250 people living in the core community and there are about another 200 affiliated with the Fintorn community living in eco-houses that they are pioneering in the building of. And thousands of people um, come from around the world as we did for retreats, for conferences, workshops, longer training programs. So Fintorn for me is a community that really lives its values. They describe their three guiding principles as inner listening, right relationship and living sustainably in cooperation with nature. And for, for years, Eileen Caddy received messages from God and wrote them down. I met Eileen just once, years and years ago. I was really struck by her quiet presence and by this ability that she had to channel infinite wisdom in clear, practical language. I was quite moved to hear when I was up there in January that in fact in her later life, she came to understand that that inner wisdom was actually her own. Um, but when you read it, it is as though God is speaking to us. Um, here's one day's guidance that, that um, Eileen received. And it sounds as if God is speaking to us. I don't know if it will speak to you. You are part of my infinite plan. You have a part to play in the overall picture. And it may be only a very small part. Nevertheless, it is essential for the completion of the whole. So never at any time feel that your part is so small that it's not necessary. Who are you to judge? I need you in your rightful place playing your part. And if you have not yet found out what your part is, well, it's up to you to seek and go on seeking until you've found what it is. See yourself fitting into your rightful place, giving what you have to give to the whole, and so feel part and parcel of that wonderful wholeness, no longer separate or divided. No one can do it for you. You have to do your own seeking and your own finding. No one else can live your own life for you. Only you can live it. Words channeled by Eileen Caddy. My original book of Eileen's Wisdom is incredibly worn. I've used it so much over the years. So I bought a new copy for us to enjoy and I'll, I'll show it you later. It, I've been thinking about this issue of how do we live by our values this week. And I, I found um, a book written by three academics, Simon Howe and Kirschenbaum. And they, they describe values as having seven criteria. And I'm, you might want to just think of something that you're involved with. Could be your, this community here, could be other issues. They say that values are freely chosen. They're chosen from among alternatives. 
They're chosen reflectively and deliberately. They're prized and they're cherished. You feel good about them. You're willing to affirm them publicly. You act upon them and your actions on your values form a consistent pattern of behaviour. And I think that's actually what most of us are doing in trying to do our bit to make this world a bit more bearable. And life at Fintorn clearly displays these attributes. They have really strong rules still. Um, if you want to stay there, you've got to contribute. If you go on an experience week, you have morning sessions and then you're required to work in, in the community and you had to be guided to, to where it was right for you to work. And lo and behold, I was guided to home care and I spent the week with a group of people who were as obsessed with me about light bulbs that fail and people that walk on floors with muddy boots on and um, where has all the washing up liquid gone? I had a marvellous week with them. And they don't just get on with the job. You start with your focaliser, which is their word for the, the organiser of your work group. And you sit and you hold hands and you attune, as they describe it. And you have a little check-in and you tell each other how you are. And the emphasis is always on love in action. Don't do it if you're going to be mardy about it, which is, is a, a good message for all of us, isn't it? And, and we bless the work before we, we started on it. Um, it. Many of the current issues that the Fintorn community are facing, they reflect our wider society's concerns. How should they care for their elders, which are an increasing number, should they be marketing their community more in order to increase their visitor numbers, but then how will they deal with even more visitors coming and staring into their eco-homes to see how they're living? Um, they said that they've not increased their financial income in the last 10 years, which is an issue. It's, it's how do you pay the bills? They've also got a serious issue about how they can afford as a community to house young families, exactly the same as, as the rest of uh, British society is, is dealing with. So life at Fintorn really would not seem to everyone. Harold and I were talking about it yesterday, and he was saying the lack of light in the winter months alone could put many people off. But I left there really impressed by their commitment to putting spiritual values into action in some really practical ways. And I reckon that living our values is a path we all share. Amen. Let's sing together hymn number 198.
live. We live on a planet where there is enough for everyone. Enough space, enough food, enough air, enough water. How then shall we live? May we be guided to live justly, compassionately, fairly and with love always in our hearts. Recognising the divine potential in all that exists. Reaching out a hand to all in need. Amen. Go well and blessed be.